You are listening to the Wool Academy podcast. This is episode number 72. Hello and welcome. My name is Elizabeth Van Delden and once a week we talk to an industry expert from the wool industry supply chain from farm to fashion and beyond, delivering strategies and insights to be successful in wool and showcasing those beautiful stories wool has to tell. Today's guest is Matthias Böhme. Matthias is a consultant for natural fibers, including wool, and he helps businesses find the optimum solutions in regards to their textile supply chains. Today, Matthias will answer us a wide range of questions that many fashion brands and manufacturers need to deal with in their business. Hello, Matthias. It's so good to have you on the show. Hello, Elisabeth. Many thanks for the invitation for this interview. Great, thank you for your time. And tell us a little bit more about yourself and the work that you do. Um, my company is called Textile Solutions and Consulting, whereby um, consulting um, was done in regard to sustainability standards evaluations. But I'm doing also sales and commercial structuring uh, consulting. Um, I've done also change management structures or I have accompanied technical developments and innovations. And solutions is, has also a commercial component whereby I sell as an agent fiber yarns and fabrics and uh, accompany, accompany companies in developing um, modifications, technical optimizations. So. As I'm also working as a consultant, I know very well that we have a wide range of skills and interests. But tell me a little bit more about how did you get into the textile industry and also how did you get involved in the wool industry in particular? Um, it's a long time ago. In, in, as, uh, after my high school degree, I worked as a junior clerk in an import-export company here in Bremen. And when finishing that, I had basically three choices. One was to remain with the company. Um, a second one was working for a German textile machinery manufacturer and look after their office affairs in the UK. And the third option was uh, starting as a sales manager for wool byproducts at Bremer Wolkemerei in those years. Um, strangely and only emotionally, the decision was taken in favor of Bremer Wolkemerei as my queen of heart of those days uh, were here in Bremen. And I thought it might be quite difficult to continue the relationship from abroad. And um, ever after, I never succumbed to the temptations from other industries um, like uh, cotton or uh, even others. Especially influenced, I was also by, a, by an event um, just possibly two weeks after I've started at BWK. We had a visitor from a famous fabric manufacturer of the, in those days, Gensler and Fulton, who was able, uh, when looking at a, at a lot of wool, um, the greasy wool, uh, was able to translate his visual impression into technical expertise and has, in, in front of his imagination, he has uh, a fabric in mind um, he wanted to sell to a specific client, which impressed me really very, very much. And I always envied him a little bit to be able to that. I hope I've at least learned a little bit to follow it. So your first love led you to wool, but then you also fell in love with wool while you were working at the BWK. That's a nice story. I worked until the turn of the millennium there. 
um, and decided in November 1999 um, to work ever after freelance uh, with with Hess Natur as my uh, as my first consultancy client. My my job at Hess Natur was particularly to transform fabrics or, or look for manufacturers who were able um, to transform fabrics collected by the designers into natural fiber components only according to Hessner tool standards. Yeah. Okay, that sounds amazing and you you had lots of different interesting clients but now let's get into the more technical questions we have prepared for today. So what do you, which areas of the fashion and textile market are particularly interesting for wool at the moment and how do you see that changing in the future? Uh, difficult look into the future but for for apparel I would foresee a stabilization hopefully moderate growth of demand um, with the usual fluctuations for um, um, in, in prices and availability. A still growing market I would see foresee for sportswear as not all um, areas um, and applications are really um, covered by wool or investigated enough to check whether wool is, is um, suitable for certain performance requirements. Um, also a very interesting and growing market I foresee for outdoor equipment um, for specifically for coarser wool, um, if not neglected types or types which are presently neglected, and applications I could see in protection, functional parts of equipment like backpacks, tents, shoes is late, uh, the latest development already shown um, and how, how perfect um, the functionality could of wool could be used in this, this outlet. And also interior not everything is, is covered. Um, one company uh, I work for is a very interesting decorative elements which also have a very nice and a very nice function in regard to noise reduction and well feel um, area, making it making a, an interior room, uh, transforming it into a well feel area, really. But also a totally unexplored um, applications I could foresee in technical and non-textile non applications. Um, here we possibly um, could work together with you if, if uh, of interest. Uh, we really would like to find textile institutes or entrepreneurs for project initiations. Okay, that was a lot of uh, many ideas. And I want to ask you, you, you mentioned wool for tents. Why, how should I imagine that? How would wool fit or how would wool be applied in a tent? Like insulation. Ah, okay. Not all, not all um, camp, campers uh, doing it in summer and, um, and favorable weather conditions, but um, uh, we, we had a we had a co cooperation um, innovation village during one of the latest fairs, I think outdoor 2015, and there was an interesting um, uh, partner on, on our booth who offered tents suitable for colder outdoor conditions and. Uh, discuss it. At present, it's 
it's a price reason to cover a whole tent with a with an insulation made of wool. But there could be optimal solutions to be developed in the future, like um, what I mentioned on the technical or non-textiles applications. Okay, well, thank you for explaining that. And you already touched a little bit on the interiors. And as many listeners might know, currently the prices for crossbred woods are much lower compared to fine woods. And where do you see an opportunity for more demand for crossbred woods so that hopefully wool prices for crossbreds would also rise more? Yeah, if we talk um, lower prices, um, we mainly uh, look at wool from meat sheep, not necessarily a, a, um, a well looked after Australian or New Zealand crossbred sheep. Um, but I thought all these neglected qualities um, could be used in, in insulation protection uh, for sportswear and, and outdoor equipment. Um, we all, discovered just lately in in our commercial business that uh, a little bit of demand is growing up for uh, to use crossbreds wool in semi-formal styles um, a jacket for example for men's or, or ladies which you can wear with a pair of jeans or um, not necessary for for board meetings but look well dressed without exaggerate without appearing um, too formal But also for interior textiles, um, I could see demand for crossbred wool. It's not really new, uh, really. Carpets, wool and carpets have been there for a number of, of uh, decades already. But uh, I was thinking of decorative elements. Um, I stayed in a, in a hotel uh, lately, which had a, a so-called bed mirror. The, the wall cover behind the bed made out of wool, which looked extremely attractive and gave also a very nice climate in the room and like a like a noise reduction um, inside fantastic atmosphere and last not least again um, crossbred qualities uh, could be perfectly suitable for technical applications um, uh, we have attended a conference um, in november uh, where manufacturers introduced the audience to composite manufacturing, where various components of um, um, man-made materials and together with natural materials and combination glues, bonding um, chemicals, were brought together in order to do, for example, um, bathrooms inside of, uh, inside of airplanes. And these sort of applications has, have not been uh, really investigated how wool could find its way into it and i think especially the demand for crossbred wool um, the very much neglected part of uh, 35 micron and, and stronger um, could find a perfect outlet and have also a stabilization of prices if not a moderate rise in general um, the crossbred wools should be looked at very very positively because the the uh, The very high fluctuations of apparel types um, always implicate the danger that at a, from a certain price point onwards, these types of uh, the fine wools may be neglected or even removed from collections um, with, with a stable, moderate, only moderately fluctuating price for crossbreds. The chances uh, for continuous 
the continuous outlet and also um, yeah, continuous outlet could be guaranteed. Okay, thank you so much for providing us such details and so many ideas for crossbred rules. Another topic I want to touch upon is traceability. Um, how do you see the topic of traceability in the wool supply chain develop and where are we heading towards? I think it's a very, very important topic. Um, though we observe that some companies at least gave the impression very subjectively now um, to show a certain reluctance um, to open up to complete trans transparency. But from, from forward-thinking retailers or brands, um, we recognize the more clear and authentic the messages about the origin can be provided, the better they rate their sales success. And um, it was interesting to see uh, the presentation in, uh, in the Green Room Voice area at ISPO this year, which showed some fantastic examples um, of it. And also from, from our um, commercial business, it's not wool in this case, but Canada, um, we were able to win a larger contract for from together with a manufacturer, of course, and a retail chain, because the camel hair we were offering could be identified um, from a certain origin in Mongolia and not just being offered and sold as camel hair. And the region was also selected um, as being um, completely free of any chemical or pesticide residue from the environment. So it gave gave an authentic and clear message to the to the final consumer, which was very much appreciated by the retailer. And we can only hope that these the sort of um, uh, traceability options uh, will grow. It can only help to build trust in wool and um, give a competitive advantage against specifically man-made fibers. And do you think that this um, increased focus on traceability is also the reason why there's um, a trend for sustainability schemes and labels? It, it comes very often in combination with it. And that really depends on the final retail outlet um, and, and the price range consumers may expect to find there. Um, the, the higher the spending preparedness is, the higher the, the demand for sustainability standards will also come. But there will be always a general basis. Um, and uh, as we can see from the, the work with the Bündnis for Nachhaltige um, Textilien, the big retailers are following this path very closely. But at the same time, it's very confusing because there are so many labels and also I hear a lot of manufacturers complain because it's so stressful and costly to um, yeah, get certified. But do you think we will have even more labels and sustainability certifications in the future or how do you see it develop going forward? There may be more labels in future, um, even but could, that could be followed by a tendency of reduction afterwards. We have followed this quite closely with the with the organic uh, cotton labeling and certification. The, it really concentrates now on GOTS after some years with many many different labels. But in the end, all con, all retailers or, mm, and brands are free to choose 
which solution they may think uh, is the best one for their specific brand and brand philosophy. Um, so if somebody is happy with um, um, even more specific and more detailed certification procedures or even do it do it in-house, uh, why not? And if it's if it's a, a true and honest message to the client and can be can be traced or um, even checked by individuals, fine. It, it all supports the, the the trust in the product. And could you summarize maybe kind of what are the advantages and disadvantages of getting a certain license? First, it, it gives the disadvantage one some brands see is that they have to open up their complete um, sourcing and manufacturing uh, and logistic uh, chain. Um, you can also look at this as a positive effect because if you're open about that, um, the the consumers know exactly that your operation is under control. It helps you also to to have it under control yourself and look at possibly some weak points, whether technically or from certification uh, or chemical use, whatever. Uh, so it, I would I would see in in the final. If you take a final and holistic view, it can only be positive for the future. You can openly communicate, you can tell about the advantages, you can possibly even say there may be a few um, weak points, which under a holistic view are less important. And you really prevent to be criticized afterwards for it. And critics are very easily raised and are not easily forgotten. Um, therefore, I think certification should, um, in which form ever, um, should support a product and be of advantage to the brand um, in reaching, um, yeah, finally, good sales to the consumers. And if a brand decides to get a specific uh, label, let's say the GOTS uh, Organic Wool certification, where would be the what would be the first step for them to start the process first of all a strong will and the courage to do it and and possibly accepting that um, depending on the complexity of the of the product it may take some time and um, possibly also well trodden paths has to be have to be left um, it needs a dedicated team for realization Really is realistic planning, and um, yeah, a good a good cooperation within that team. Uh, we experienced um, a transformation process for a knitwear series at Hesnatur in a very um, really perfect cooperation with commercial uh, consultation and textile technical um, uh, yeah, qualification within the within the team, ending up in. Um, changing a complete series of knitwear into GUTS conform wool in all aspects, uh, leftovers, uh, price points, region, regions to be selected for, for the origin. Uh, an exciting example and very successful as it's still in place even after more than 10 years now. Wow, and how long did the project take? The uh, 
between three and six months. I think four and a half, to, if I have to be exact. Okay, cool. Not not really um, overly long, not really overly um, difficult, as it was one specific group of knitwear within the within the collection. And uh, whenever companies are thinking about um, changing, whether from from conventional wool to whatever standard. Um, they may choose whether truly organic or or also non mules or whatever. Um, it's it's always advisable to look at a specific group of products and not start with the most complex ones, but choose something where the supply chain is already known and can be easily um, yeah, influenced or transformed. Okay, thank you so much for sharing your insights on, on the topic of certification. Now let's move on to another topic that you know a lot about, because you also advise companies on production costs. Um, you help them identify if they should manufacture in Asia or in Europe. Can you give us an overview on this topic, please? As far as, as we got the impression from especially the latest uh, sales project and cooperation with outdoor brands and fashion brands, we noticed that due to the um, many different processing sites in different countries in Asia, efficiency can get lost um, if, if only a part of the supply chain is in one country. Uh, another part, like like China, sourcing for fabrics and garment manufacturing uh, may happen in Bangladesh or Vietnam. Um, very often, it, the, the companies forgot that Europe is much, much easier and even cheaper in logistics. Um, unfortunately, some, some processing stages are not, no longer on, only on a minimal basis available here anymore. So um, depending on complexity of design, style, and order volume, and repeat order schemes, um, um, set, um, production in Europe could be more advantageous than in China, for example, especially for, um, for mail order, which is a growing, uh, has the best growth rates in uh, textile retails or garment retails. And companies who still need to build up their supply chain, um, what do they need to consider in this regard? Ideally, it's not an isolated um, monetary deci decision. Um, I think a, a very much holistic view on all factors has to be taken. And the location of manufacturing can ideally be a, a part of the corporate social responsibility strategy of the brand. Um, that that should finally decide um, about it, but also simple commercial factors like like mentioned before. Um, some companies work with one order window per year uh, or per season, and others have the requirement to have to allow for repeat orders within very short notice time uh, as part of their service to the client. Um, also, the the costs of logistics and also the environmental impact of, of logistics um, are necessary to observe. So basically, ideally, a little bit of life cycle analysis has to be done specifically on, on products and um, 
decide decision to be taken afterwards whether to produce in in Asia or Europe. And we had now um, many decades where manufacturing had has been outsourced to Asia. Do you see a trend that manufacturing is coming back to Europe again? It's possibly a little bit too early to call it a trend, but we noticed that early stage processing, especially for wool, has stabilized in Europe and even new investments have been taken. We also noticed that some international operation, operating brands, um, even within multinational corporations, are recognizing production close by to say point of sales. Um, discovered this as a marketing tool and are studying options and available structures uh, in Europe. Um, for one of the products I'm, I'm working as a sales consultant, this is a clearly observable trend at present. So like the, from a sustainability aspect that we manufacture more locally to reduce the, the product footprint on the planet? Yeah, but also to give the give the um, um, the message to their final consumers and buyers, uh, look, we we do as much as possible locally. Earlier, you mentioned that you are part of the German Alliance for Sustainable Textiles. Can you tell us more about this alliance and what are the goals? Um, I'm, I'm not really part of it, but I have done some consultancy work on standards and evaluations of standards for them, which was a very interesting um, uh, work to do with a lot of new aspects and influences and uh, um, knowledge gaining thereby. But as far as we got the impression, the original idea was to ensure work safety conditions and fair wages in Asian garment manufacturing sites. Um, initiated by uh, after the terrible fire at the Bangladesh Rana Plaza factory. And the, the alliance uh, wanted to commit brands to support and guarantee uh, safe, more safe conditions and fair wages uh, in future. But they took, took the whole initiative a step further and uh, took a holistic view on all sustainability aspects and look, uh, are looking now at responsible production of uh, textiles and garments um, and have this identified as, a, as, a, as an overall goal. The, there are some challenges within um, these initiatives, uh, like, like all multi-stakeholder initiatives, it's, it's, there's always the, always the underlying danger to get lost in so-called minimal compromises or lowest common denominators. Um, but the target, the clear target is um, to come up with, a prim with pragmatic solutions and improvement schemes uh, valid and acceptable by a large number of brands. And how does Wool fit into this alliance and what are the challenges? Um, we had the impression that wool was recognized as a, as a bit more complicated or different um, than uh, as the, the manufacturing from fiber to garment is to completely different to um, other fibers like cotton or man-made. And we appreciated that they're trying to make it, uh, to bring wool, bring it into common knowledge 
that woolen products are amongst the most environmentally friendly produced and manufacturing manufactured goods. The, the input uh, we could deliver into the evaluation were specifically the um, life cycle analysis uh, done by Beverly Henry for Australian wool and Kirsty Kvizet uh, for Norwegian wool, which uh, were in contrary to, contrary to the negative impacts being publicated by um, the HIC index and uh, made by standards before. And uh, so how would, does the wool, so according, in accordance of the alliance, how should the wool supply chain ch change? So what, what would we have to change? It would be very nice to see a closer cooperation between wool organizations and the alliance. And uh, we have done some proposals uh, for a closer cooperation um, in future. Um, as far as standardizations and uh, mutual acceptance of uh, these standards, um, also pragmatic solutions have to be found, and, um, and which can only be achieved by an open dialogue between the organizations and, and business representatives. And a little side remark from, from our side, we would highly appreciate being able to support and accompany such a dialogue. Okay, thank you so much for sharing those insights into the Alliance. I have to apologize. My dog is barking in the background. He has his friend over another dog and they're both upset because I locked them outside of the office and one dog is scratching the door and the other one is barking. But before we uh, let like free the animals from or let the animals inside my office, I want to ask you where can our listeners find out more about you and also um, to get in contact and learn more about you. Thank you very much um, for uh, for the interview first, and I can only invite um, interesting communication or cooperation partners to have a look at my LinkedIn profile uh, or contact me via email, as mentioned in the profile. But I'm also on Skype or phone um, available, and all everything is mentioned in, in my profile there. Excellent. And I will also make sure to link to your LinkedIn profile in the show notes and so that it's very easy for everyone to find you. Well, thank you so much, Matthias, for your time. I really appreciate you sharing your knowledge with us and yeah, to many exciting new projects in the future. Thanks. Thanks a lot to you as well. Uh, we feel honored uh, being invited for this interview and hope to have um, been able to give some interesting insights. Yes, indeed. Thanks, thanks again. Thank you and bye-bye. Bye-bye. I hope you enjoyed this interview with Matthias Böhme. Apologies once again for my dog barking in the background. If you want to find out more about Matthias and the topics that he covered today, then head on over to the show notes at elizabethvandelden.com forward slash 072. There you can find a lot of more background on Matthias and the topics he covered. Head on over to elizabethvandelden.com forward slash 072. If you are active on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter or LinkedIn, then make sure to follow us on these platforms so that you are always alerted when a new podcast is coming out. 
I look forward to connecting with you there. Thank you for listening. Talk to you again next week and bye for now.